The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawkbox, and these are your headlines. Credit Suisse launches a public tender offer to buy back its debt securities, with a Swiss lender ready to put forward some 3 billion Swiss francs. The IMF issues a gloomy assessment of the global economy, blaming, quote, multiple shocks for an upcoming growth downgrade. The managing director, Kristalina Gorgieva, tells CNBC aggressive central bank action is still necessary. This is a price to pay to bring inflation down that is worth paying. Well, the Dow drops nearly 350 points, but Wall Street still, at the moment, uh, tracking towards big weekly gains as investors wait for it. You guessed it. I'm excited. Got your popcorn ready. It's non-farm payroll day. Uh, plus, the Polish Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, slams the German energy policy, telling CNBC exclusively Berlin's disastrous strategy has led Europe into a precarious dependence on Russia. The Kremlin behaved like a drug dealer because uh, initially uh, the gas was supposed to be very cheap. The real price of the gas is also the blood of uh, soldiers and people, children and, and women in, in Ukraine. Meanwhile, Samsung posts its first quarterly profit decline in nearly three years as the chipmaker wrestles with a global slowdown in demand and a sharp downturn in the memory chip cycle. Uh, so we kick off the program with uh, an announcement just trickling through from Credit Suisse. Let's spend a little bit of time on this. Credit Suisse Group announcing the public tender offer for debt securities offering um, by Credit Suisse International to repurchase certain senior debt securities for cash up to approximately 3 billion Swiss franc. The group announces offers by Credit Suisse International to buy back the senior debt securities for cash up to approximately 3 billion Swiss francs. Now, it's an, it's an interesting announcement because it comes just off the back of, I think we had a ratings agency that was asking questions about the um, balance sheet of this business. And as you know, uh, we've had a, um, a slew of negative news from Credit Suisse over the last 18 months or so, which has driven this share price down to historic lows, as you can see here. And I think there is a focus on what this bank is intending to announce in terms of its restructuring on the uh, third quarter earnings announcement, uh, which won't actually come for a couple of weeks here. But that doesn't seem to be uh, stopping the slew of uh, fresh news that we're getting around this bank, some of it generated by Credit Suisse itself and some of it generated by agencies that keep an eye on Credit Suisse and of course some of it just generated by market rumours here. And interesting in the context of, of this, I mean we had a, a story a couple of days ago that was put out by the uh, Guardian and other uh, newspapers talking about how the bank 
is um, putting its Zurich Hotel up for sale. I, I don't know whether that. you saw I that story. I thought that was an interesting no, story. What's because more interesting is why on earth does a, an investment bank or a bank own a Zurich Hotel? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think, but I mean, there are lots of legacy assets that these businesses own. Why? One assumes. Well, one assumes at the time they bought it, they they either saw it as a strategic investment because they thought land values were going to go up in Zurich, or they felt that it was cheaper to own their own own hotel than to have facilities or to spend on facilities to keep um, their staff. You're being remarkably generous. Well, I'm I'm just looking for a. I mean, do you know the answer? Why do they own a hotel? Well, I'm just looking for an interpretation. A, you asked me the question. In my head, because it's a marquee investment and they're like, they're like, when they get guests in town, they say, well, this is our hotel. Or, or, or it's, it's silly, isn't it? If your core business is mm. banking, if your core business potentially is still parts of the investment banking arena, but becoming less and less so, and given some of the headlines that have been coming out about this strategic review on the 27th of October, which yeah. I only hope we've got our best man in Zurich for, um, or you might be there as well. You know, well, right? I could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could always, we could always no, send you. No, no, I'm on holiday. No, but, but, I, I, that, that might work. No, no, I'm on holiday. Oh. Um, but, but the point is, is like, why do you, if you really want to strip down to what you do for a living, which is banking, you don't mm. own a hotel. It's one of those silly assets that you find out that companies had years later. I mean, why on yeah. earth, when they're struggling in X, Y, Z, do they have nonsense? Like, to be honest, it, it's a peripheral conversation anyway as well. Um, I have a question about the securities offer, which is perhaps 10 times more relevant than Blooming Hotels. Um, is, is what are they buying it back in? What, what um, pennies in the dollar are they buying it back? Because surely that's the only reason to buy back your debt. Well, there's two reasons to buy back your debt. One, the coupon's too high and, and you want to rearrange, refinance for a lower coupon. Well, that ain't going to happen at the moment given what's going on with Credit Suisse. Yes. So I doubt it's that. So presumably the debt is so beleaguered. We talked about the share price coming down. You didn't talk about the debt coming down. I presume that it's pennies in the dollar that they just see as too cheap and they're just hoovering it up. Oh, I think we need to put together all the different pieces of the stories that we've really compiled over the last what, couple of weeks. because you know loads about hotels? <laughs> <laughs> Having been to better ones than Jeff and I have ever been to. The story around the hotel was a dash for liquidity, right? That the company was having issues with uh, the amount of money that it effectively can tap in the marketplace. And why would you repurchase your debt if you've got a liquidity issue at this point? Credit default swaps we know at the bank have blown out is a way to try and manage the pricing of the debt and the way it's perceived in the marketplace. The other option, if you're really going to go down this pathway, is a stock repurchase, so some sort of buyback scheme. And if you think about the share price yesterday, we saw it rally. Did someone know something about this uh, debt position, uh, the strategy around debt today? Why did it go up? Uh, I think very interesting um, price tiny, action at this it? stage. Again, we're talking decimals. Oh, well, not. Yes, yesterday this we saw it was right at the been... top of the stock strip, 600 yesterday. It was up about four plus percent at one point. There was definitely some price action happening. So big question mark as to why that was happening. But I think this maneuvering here is really about trying to shore up the, the pricing and debt markets to add a little bit of life to the way it's perceived in credit markets. Just to, just, uh, just to reflect on the Moody's announcement as well, because I think it's worth it's, it's appropriate to bring it in at this stage. And this is only sort of 24 hours old. So the ink is still very much wet on this. Moody's um, say for, it forecasts further losses for Credit Suisse in the second half of the year. Funnily, that $3 billion number comes up again here. They're talking about a $3 billion loss potentially for 2022. The analysts say the CT1 capital ratio may fall below 13% by year end. 
Uh, credit negative if CT1 capital ratio stays consistently below 13% here. Uh, worsening market conditions may lower prices for Credit Suisse asset sales. Look, um, we're all just working with this information as we get it at this stage. I don't think we know what it is exactly that they are buying, but I think it's probably a pretty good guess that there is a, a reason to buy it around the, the fact that it's going to cost them more going forward to not buy it. So it, it does seem to you know, make sense, but we'll, we'll see as we get some more detail on this, but clearly it's not a positive backdrop here. They're having to sell assets that maybe they didn't want to sell. Maybe they wanted to stay in the hotelier business. Um, but clearly the Moody's report just cranks up the market pressure. So the backdrop important. Let's just come back to what we're hearing from the IMF as the managing director, Kristalina Gorgieva, has said the group will lower its global economic growth forecast for next year, down from its earlier estimate of 2.9%. Gorgieva warned the global economy faces a darkening outlook with the world going from shock to shock over recent years, from the COVID pandemic to the war in Ukraine and rising inflation pressures. The IMF chief told CNBC's Sarah Eisen central banks must do more to bring down inflation, but stressed that rate hikes should be proportionate to slowing investment and consumer demand. How big the, the hike should be really depends on how the economy is, is responding. Looking at consumer demand and investment uh, propensity to invest, uh, these are indicators that are saying the US is somewhat losing that momentum. Uh, but still uh, performing better than other economies. Right. Well, I'm supposed to be at the wall, but I'm, I'm not going yet. Um, OK, so we saw on the 3rd of October uh, their 2032 paper dipping, losing more than 7 cents to 70 cents in the euro. 2033 bond dropping as 55 cents in the euro. So there's my answer. But to be fair, it's what I thought it would be. It's either they can get better refinancing, which they can't at the moment because of the uh, cost of capital at the moment, especially for a bank which has got questions about its capital. But basically, this is the answer. They're buying it um, below the ultimate price that it will price at were you to run it to maturity. So again, a lot of these debt has been trading. Again, just looking at a couple of the bonds here. The 2032 was 70 cents in the euro. The 2033 had dropped to 53 cents in the euro. Uh, and I think there's a lot more of the same as well. So clearly they've decided that their bonds are worth buying back and it's a good trade. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. Let's move on. Um, this is about the payroll today. Um, you know, normally I get really excited about payroll. I have done since 1988, to be fair, when I've been standing in pits looking at payroll data. But uh, I, I, I think it's going to take something quite extraordinary out of the payroll today to move the needle. Because the message consistently from the Federal Reserve is we're going to be consistent. And that's the point, isn't it? The market is desperate to see a pivot, any pivot, any sign of a pivot. They wanted it in Feb, March 2023. The Fed said, no, that's not going to happen. So then we saw repricing. Now the market is saying, and hang on, there might be signs, and some people say there might be signs of a turn in the uh, CPI levels and the inflation peaking. Well, that may or may not be the case, but the Fed's going to need to see a lot more evidence. And as such, I don't think the payroll figures today, given everything else we've seen, even considering that weak jolts we saw earlier in the week, it's going to take a really big miss for the market, I think, to get excited to the upside. And if we see a really strong figure uh, in terms of the non-farm payroll, in terms of the average hourly earnings, then I think that could potentially have the ability to spook this market. A market which is very interesting. I mean, really fascinating moves this week as well. A couple of down days, a um, couple of up days. Look at the week-to-date moves as well. They were over 5.5% higher. 
now a lot more modest actually 4.4 4.2 as well so Yes, the market's had a really good week, but the last couple of days have been a bit soggy up for those advocating long equity positions. The Treasuries have been picking up in terms of yield. The underlying uh, falling a little bit. 3.825 is where the 10-year currently trading. Uh, dollar index had a good day yesterday. It moved up 1%. And look, cable, which got to 114, back down to 111.63. Some really smart stuff out there about what's going on in the UK gilt market and the UK pound as well. We'll try and... Uh, uh, extrapolate some information for that for you later in the show. The euro under pressure as well, trading at 0.98. Dollar Swissy as well. So the Swissy uh, picking up a little bit there, uh, 0.99 on that pair. Let's have a look at some of the other commodities as well. Do you know, I've, I've been looking at the oil price a lot, well, always, but um, did Saudi get the bang for the buck it wanted out of its announcement this week? I say its announcement, OPEC Plus's announcement as well. The answer is yes, in terms of the fact that WTI is up 11% this week and Brent is up 7% before today's session. But I still can't help thinking they want a triple digit price on the underlying price of oil. They want 100 bucks as their, their safety zone as well. And I don't know, we've seen a really big announcement out from OPEC about the 2 million cut as well. Now, some of that's real, some of that's just justifying what's going on with underproduction from some of the OPEC Plus members. But I don't know. I don't know if the market got quite the bang for the buck out of the announcement. I keep hearing all this bullish commentary about what it means in the medium and short and longer term as well. But 94 bucks isn't, well, I mean, what are we? We're $30 plus short of the highs of the year, despite everything that's been thrown at the market, despite all the, the hammering, despite all the concern uh, from Karine Jean-Pierre in the White House about Saudi siding with Russia. I think that's a false narrative. I don't think Saudi's siding with Russia. I think Saudi's siding with Saudi. It always, you know, it wants a higher stable price and they can invest more, then they can actually extrapolate those revenues for their own fiscal position. I don't necessarily see it in the, it's a political battle. I see it in terms of pure economics. Maybe I'm missing the point. Let's have a look at uh, the Asian indices, ex-China as well. Uh, under a bit of pressure across the board, Hang Seng down 1.3%. So I, I mentioned a little bit about the jobs numbers. But I tell you what, I think it's going to be very interesting. Well, what are you two talking about? I need to know. Oh, we're still, uh, talking we're still, still walking through Credit Suisse at the moment. Well, you disagree yeah. with me about what it's about. Why would we disagree with you? Well, because that's what the show's about. Why would you assume we're disagreeing with you? I no, you no. What, what we're arguing, we're not actually arguing. We're, we're just discussing. We're discussing, we're just discussing whether this is window dressing of the balance sheet ahead of the earnings announcement. But it seems to me, if you do this very publicly, everybody in the market understands what you're doing at this stage, mm. even if it does attempt to make the balance sheet oh, look a little bit cleaner. We're just saying, what happens to that debt inventory? Where does it go to in the meantime? Is it, does it stay on the financial statement? Does it go somewhere else? And does it make the statement look a little bit nicer <laughs> I, coming I up to the earnings? Uh, I think it's very sensible if you have the capital firepower to buy back your debt that's trading at 57 cents in the dollar or whatever these, these yeah. bonds are trading at that they're buying back. It makes total yeah. sense. But the problem is, if it's going to leave you exposed elsewhere because your capital position is a bit weaker elsewhere. So I think what they're doing is saying, look, our capital position is fine. In fact, if we see an opportunity to buy back our debt cheaply, we'll do it as well. But do they uh, have the firepower? Do they have the money? This well, is a problem. And, and that is the question. If only so what's we, the motivation? If only it was the 27th of October and we could spin forward to that and get our main man in Zurich. And if he's not available, I'll do it. Yeah, all right. Um, do, but, yeah. But, but, but bingo, and this is, this is what I'm saying to Karen, that um, all the way through 
this last few weeks, we've had two narratives. We've had the Credit Suisse narrative, which is there is nothing to see here. The balance sheet is fine. You've got the numbers wrong. And then we've had the market narrative, which is we don't believe you. We think you're going to have to raise cash. And then you get this Moody's announcement. Wow. And supposedly the guys over at Moody's know what they're doing when they run a slide rule over these companies. And if they're raising concerns, then you have to wonder. But I do wonder if given they've got BlackRock and Harris Associates and the Qatari Sovereign Wealth Fund as major shareholders still, whether they've had a bit of a, a nod that, oh, you're going to be fine, we're with you, we'll stay the course. There's a problem here, isn't there? And, and you both know this. It's not one or t'other. And actually, the actions of the former, mm. i.e. the market, can create problems for the latter, i.e. Credit Suisse, or whichever <laughs> way around you said that as well, i.e. Yeah. if you decide as a market, as a set of counterparties, mm. as trading partners, mm. that there is a problem, then it can create a problem. And therein lies the point about, entire point about banking. Banking is all about confidence and confidence in the people you are banking with. I promise to pay the bearer. In God we trust, etc., etc. But is that the name of the game today? Is it a confidence play? You've got a yes. bank here that seems to be, totally. uh, in many ways, retreating to its shell, you would expect, but it's out there, racing out there into the marketplace, saying, look, we've got the firepower to rebuy our debt. Surely that sends a message of confidence to the market, but is it a, a one that we can actually bank on at this point? Uh, we'll come back to this story because mm, I think we've all got a lot to yeah. say on this. And um, uh, interestingly, there was a JP Morgan upgrade that we uh, looked at yesterday. So what does that tell us about um, how the market's thinking mm. about this bank? Um, it is a big non-farm payroll day. Investors are eyeing the latest US non-farm payrolls report due today. Dow Jones forecasting a headline print of 275,000 new jobs in September. That is down from 315,000 the month before. The unemployment rate and average earnings are forecast to remain broadly steady. Neil Wilson joins us, co-CEO of EJF Capital. Neil, good morning to you and welcome. Look, given how important the run of jobs data is to Fed thinking, what do you think we will learn today and how do you think it will influence the committee? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on today. Um, I think Steve had it uh, right when he said that um, that it would have to be a huge miss to have a, a big impact on the market. Um, the JOLTS data, you know, came in 10% lower than what expectations were. Um, but I, I really think that, you know, what the takeaway from all of this is that uh, uh, the cognitive dissonance of the data is starting to become clear on the labor side. Labor is is definitely, um, you know, is definitely slowing down. And I think that that uh, wages are also kind of cresting. Uh, but the data is still very strong coming in hot on the uh, personal consumption expenditures, the PCE. That came in very hot. Um, also, the CPI, the consumer uh, you know, price index, was still very hot. And I think in still, in, until uh, that really changes, um, I think, uh, you know, I think uh, Jay Powell made it very clear at Jackson Hole that they're going to continue to ratchet up until they see uh, a big change in the data. And, and that really has to include the price side of things, not just the wage side of things and the labor side of things. Neil, the interesting thing about this is, is the, the run of data seems to be going somewhat against market expectations that the Fed would have driven us into recession by now. Um, what are we missing here? Is, is it that, that savings during the pandemic were just bigger 
Uh, and, um, and that's allowed the uh, consumer to be a little stronger, even as interest rates are going up here. Or, or is it a shortage of labor at the moment and the fact that so many people have voluntarily taken themselves off the jobs market? I mean, the JOLTS data, even though it showed a drop, still showed a very healthy level of vacancies for work here. So what are we misunderstanding about the resilience of the U.S. economy? Well, the pandemic, as you said, did increase the savings. So that, that is a factor. I think the bigger factor is the second point you made. Um, there is a lot of there, there's still a lot of folks who are not in the uh, coming back to the labor force. So the labor participation rate went up last month, but it is still well below. Um, you know, it's at 64 percent. It's still well below pre-pandemic levels. Uh, but the other thing I would just mention is if you look at history, you go back to 1979, 1980, when Paul Volcker was dealing with a huge inflationary situation. Dealing with disin trying to create a disinflationary environment takes a long time. It took over a year for the ratcheting up by Volcker to have a real impact on inflation and on prices. So this is not an easy thing. The market would like it to be. The market is kind of when we had a couple of days this week where it traded up dramatically on the jolts data. That's that's based on hope as opposed to what's really going to drive uh, the market. And I, and I would mention the U.S. dollar being strong. Uh, that that really does affect a lot of you know multinational big companies in the United States, and it will affect earnings. And so I would expect the market to be going over the trajectory to be lower. Um, and I think you might have some trading days around you know let's say it's a, a, a lower number two fifty as opposed to two seventy five today on the non farm payrolls. But I think ultimately you, you're going to see the market go lower because this takes a while to really create disinflation that the Jay Powell and the, and the Fed is trying to achieve. Neil, can we talk about the size of increases we're setting up for? Because uh, we had a, a very wide dispersion on the dot plots uh, for the latter years. And the market just somewhat confused. If we go high, we stay higher. We don't pivot at any point. What do you make of the, the terminal point now for rates and just how quickly the pivot will return? Sure. Um, so right now, um, the expectation is another 125 basis points, so 75 in November, 50 in December. Um, and at that point, uh, that's the debate. The debate is, will the Fed continue to ratchet up after that or will it pause? My, my suspicion is it may pause a little bit, but I, I, we, the market is telling you, and, and I would agree that you're not going to see um, you know, really any, any kind of softening until possibly uh, Q4 2023 or 2024. I mean, it's um, like I said, it takes a while to really create uh, a reaction. Of course, we're not in the same time period in terms of inflation as uh, 1979, 1980, which I referenced earlier. But, you know, inflation really is, is quite high. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 8 percent, 7.4 percent on the PCE, 8 percent on the CPI. So it's going to take a bit of ratcheting up and then and then stasis for a bit. Neil, thank you very much for joining us so early in the morning. Much appreciated. Neil Wilson, co-CEO, EJF Capital. Coming up on the show, Poland's Prime Minister urges a compromise on the energy price cap, telling CNBC that Europe is dealing with the consequences of, quote, disastrous energy policy.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. U.S. President Joe Biden says he's looking at alternatives to prevent energy prices from rising further. After OPEC and its allies agreed to cut oil output, Biden added that no action was off the table. This after the White House said it viewed the cartel's decision to curb output by 2 million barrels per day as a geopolitical move that also aligned it with Russia. Brian Deese, the director of the White House's National Economic Council, described the cuts as unnecessary in a time of a global energy squeeze. The OPEC decision... Uh, the reason why we were disappointed in it is we believe it's unnecessary and unwarranted at a period where if you look at the global energy picture and the oil picture, the uh, lack of supply continues to be uh, a significant uh, challenge. Um, we're going to have to see um, the actual impact of this. EU countries have agreed on an emergency intervention to tackle high energy prices. Member states will begin voluntarily reducing their electricity consumption by 10% and will also introduce a revenue cap of €180 per megawatt hour for energy companies. The bloc says it will distribute the profits among households and small to medium-sized businesses. Poland's Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki has told CNBC Europe it's dealing with the consequences of, quote, disastrous energy policy. And Charlotte joins us from Prague with more from that exclusive interview. Charlotte, uh, just give us the key takeaway messages here. Well, it was a fa fascinating conversation, Karen. Uh, look, yesterday was a European political community meeting, the first one after uh, President Emmanuel Macron of France uh, called in May for this kind of gathering. And you had yesterday these 44 leaders meeting here, so the EU, but also other countries like Norway, Turkey, Switzerland, the UK, Liz Truss was here as well, all standing together. And to a certain extent, that family photo of these 44 leaders there uh, was very important and very symbolic. And they talked, of course, about energy. And I had a chance to catch up exclusively with the Polish Prime Minister uh, at the end of uh, this meeting, Mateusz Morawiecki, and we talked about all conversation. Again, very interesting, Poland having a joint border with Ukraine. They received a lot of refugees. They are very, very critical and very harsh on Russia. They want some tough sanctions there. They're one of the hawks when it comes to sanctions. But they're also very, very critical of Germany and their energy policy up until now, also critical about the support package of 200 billion euros that Germany put on the table. So that is wide-ranging conversation there with the Polish Prime Minister. In particular, we talked a lot about gas and the potential gas uh, price cap that is in discussion here. The EU leaders at this informal summit today in Prague will be discussing about all this. And this is what they had to say. These are consequences of a very wrong policy, disastrous policy, which, were, which was um, uh, led by Germany and German-Russian uh, um, agreement with uh, gas supplies from Russia to Germany. Mm, uh, the Kremlin behaved like a drug dealer because uh, initially uh, the gas was supposed to be very cheap, but the real price of the gas we now know. The real price of the gas is also the blood 
of uh, soldiers and people, children and, and women in, in Ukraine. And the real price of gas is the current uh, harsh winter coming in Europe. Lack of gas, very, very, very expensive prices of gas and electricity all over Europe. This is the real price of um, the agreement between Germany and Russia. And this is why we propose some remedy for this. And I hope tomorrow we'll be, we will have a very thorough and insightful discussion with good results. Do you think your proposal or this potential price corridor can convince countries that have been against a price cap uh, like Germany or the Netherlands? Well, I, I hope so, because this is our collective problem. Uh, it cannot be so that one country, which is the richest and the most developed in Europe, like Germany, uh, plus some of, the, uh, the, of, of Germany um, surrounding countries, um, they, can, they can block everything which is, which is now happening. And uh, at the same time, this very rich country is dedicating huge pile of money, 200 billion euros or dollars, almost the same these days, um, for their own industries. So we want level playing field. We want the single European market to function. And we don't want to be uh, patronized by uh, some countries uh, which then behave um, uh, in a completely different way than they uh, were expected to do uh, just before, and, and, and they are doing the opposite things which they, they were uh, saying just a couple of years ago. Uh, we heard from the German economy minister, Mr. Habeck, uh, just a few days ago, uh, that the US and other friendly gas suppliers have excessive prices. Do you agree with him? Well, I agree with all the statements which indicate that uh, our um, uh, free world uh, type of country, that, that, that our friends, uh, which are countries uh, belonging to the free world, um, selling the gas at very expensive prices have to rethink their strategy. Uh, in particular, uh, there is one of our northern neighbors which is selling the gas at very, very high prices to the UK and to, to the European Union. What do you mean, Norway? Yes. And, and, and we are the only recipient, as far as I know, um, the main receiver of, uh, of their gas. And I think a bilateral agreement for longer term, for the good of their um, producers, uh, is uh, and should be um, easy to reach, but it is not so far, and this is what concerns me. And that was Mateusz Morawiecki, the Prime Minister of Poland, speaking exclusively to me yesterday in Prague. Now, today, the EU leaders will be meeting here in Prague for an informal summit. Of course, they will be talking about this potential gas price cap. Uh, we know that Poland is one of the countries along Greece and Italy presenting this price corridor proposal on the table. The Commission said they will present ideas. There won't be a formal decision today. It's just discussions, and they hope to have a solution uh, by the next or a formal summit later in October and try to convince Germany, who's worried about supply of gas and try to put a system in place. But the discussions here today will be very, very tough. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.